Welcome to How to Love Forever. In this episode, we sit down for a talk with groundbreaking sexologist Amanda Morgan, PhD. We chat about her experiences as a professor at UNLV and how the pandemic impacted her and her students' experiences. We cover her formative years and what led her to become the youngest sexologist in America. We hear about many myths and misconceptions that afflict our society that she has dedicated her life to dispelling. We discuss the more interesting contents of her closet. We find Find out how a vagina is like coffee. All this and more coming up right, right now. Hi, I'm Marco. And I'm Heather. We invite you on a journey of discovery as we explore techniques, tools, and inspiration to better our love lives and our sex lives. Join us as we travel the world, seeking out the stories that can help improve how we do romance and relationships. Come with us as we discover how, how to, to love, love forever. forever. Hey, love bunnies, and welcome to today's episode of How to Love Forever, the podcast that explores love, relationships, and sexuality. My name is Marco. And I'm Heather. Woohoo! <laughs> In today's episode, we share with you part one of our two-part interview with the amazing sexologist, Dr. Amanda Morgan. Yes, Dr. Amanda has been our friend for years, but time and circumstance had created some unintended distance between us. It's really nice to catch up with her again. She welcomed us into her lovely home in Las Vegas, and we got to sit down and have a real conversation. Yeah, like with no like Zoom a, screen necessary. A real person. <laughs> <laughs> it was so weird. I was like, oh, wow, are you really made of meat? You're not freezing. Why are you not screen freezing? <laughs> we don't have the glitch. <laughs> <laughs> You're not glitching. No, it was such a great, uh, a long and satisfying chat with her. So we split it up into two parts, but you won't have to wait long because the second part will be next week of that's right. Will be next week available. Thank you, Yoda. It's coming up next week, so you stay tuned for that one. But in the meantime, this is the first part. <laughs> Just cracking you up, Yoda. I have the glitch. <laughs> I'm the glitching. glitch you have. <laughs> the glitch I have. Okay. Yeah. Let's uh, let's just get into our interview. Yeah? Yes. Here it is. Part one of Dr. Amanda Morgan, PhD. Hey. So why don't we start with a toast? Because this is our first recorded podcast interview. I feel so with an actual person, not just somebody <laughs> off the strip or something. I love it so much. And, I, and may you have much success, excitement, and open hearts and open minds that share themselves with you. Why, thank Cheers you so that. much. Oh. Thank you. Thank you very much, listeners, for being with us again. We are here with Dr. Amanda Morgan, P-H-D-S-E-X-Y, <laughs> whose uh, credentials are quite numerous and varied, and she has the distinction of having had, at the time of her doctorate, been the youngest sexologist in America yeah. at that time. And and that was, like, what, now 10 years ago or something? Now? I A was little bit 20. longer? Oh my gosh. I just turned 35. Ooh, congratulations. <laughs> like just a couple days ago, actually. The, um, happy belated birthday. Yeah, happy sorry birthday. Sorry we missed it. Yeah, totally sorry that we it was, missed it. It's a low key, you know? Good old COVID has changed uh, everything. Yes, indeed, actually. Tell us a little bit about your teaching experience during COVID over at University of Nevada, Las Vegas. So um, I've been teaching at UNLV for 10 years now. This is my 10th year, which is wild. I've never worked a job for that long. Like, So it's, it's amazing that I've been at one place for a decade. The experience over COVID was so strange to go from the intimacy of a classroom, the experience of walking on campus. And when you've been teaching for 10 years, you know people and you see former students and, and, and just 
the connections that you make and that foster in that environment were just all gone, just like gone, wow. unplugged. And so it was so interesting to see like how my colleagues, you know, how we would try to stay connected. Like I had people I'd video chat with just because we used to be in the next office to each other and talk during office hours when there were no students there and we missed each other. And then So everything- hold on. Did you keep them on video chat? Throughout the day while you were both working? <laughs> no, 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 no. Mostly okay. when we just had to bitch about, like, how awful everything was, oh. you know? Like, <laughs> just when we're like, so I've had this, this student do this, and I got this email, and the world's on fire, and will you talk to me for 10 minutes? <laughs> Which, I mean, and that's the beautiful thing about UNLV is it is a community. I've been there. I started there in 2004. Hmm. So I'm on my 17th year on campus, which is kind of wild. That's amazing. Wow. Right? Um, and so to, to lose that was difficult. And and it was to, from one day to the next. It, it, so literally, we, we, we were heading up towards spring break. And I'm looking at the numbers. Like, I, I was looking at this in January going, this looks bad. Like, they just shut down Macau. Like, this is getting real, you guys. And my students are like, oh, you know, it's not a big deal. Even the epidemiologist that works in our department who... Uh, happens to be has done a thousand interviews about COVID since all this, by the way, was like, oh, I think the numbers might be wrong. Like, this is probably not going to be that bad. Oh, no. <laughs> we literally went to spring break and never came back. Mm. Like, and and not being able to even say goodbye to my students in that like physical way was so strange. And luckily, we, we transferred online and we scrambled. Like, we had, if anybody had not done any pre-training on how to use the software, you learned real quick. And you made mistakes. I mean, I did, I recorded a whole lecture muted once, you know, like that kind of stuff where you're just like, really? I think we've done a couple of things like that ourselves. (laughs) But you have to, you live and you learn. And luckily we're still alive. We are. Um, We're the lucky ones. Thankfully. It has been a rough time for a lot of people. And in certain ways, there's, there's like this divide, isn't there? Where for some, it was calamitous. And for others, it was just a fresh new start. Mm -hmm. It felt like a metamorphosis mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. I mean, I think everything changed. And I, I don't know if it will ever 100% go back to the before times. You know what I mean? For me, I felt like I got to cocoon a little. And then I was able to like emerge probably a little healthier <laughs> as a person in many ways uh, than the stress that I had been under previous to the pandemic. But I mean, I've seen people who... I mean, I feel for you guys, like living in Las Vegas, watching people who have made their entire careers out of entertaining people, and then everything's shut. The dust is on mm-hmm. the theater floor. Like, <laughs> it's it's shocking. And it's, it's heartbreaking, because I'll tell you the truth. First time I saw live music since pandemic was in April of this year. And we went to Sand Dollar, and I cried listening to the blues, mm-hmm. because I felt it and my brain was lighting up almost like I had synesthesia or something like I swear I was like seeing things because my brain had not had that input in that intensity of that live entertainment experience and it was I mean I didn't cry once like I was like low-key like probably five times throughout the night I'm like I'm fine this is beautiful I'm really happy I promise <laughs> um, but I'm a musician too right so it's right. like the, the semblance of, of some hope that we will be able to share and what has held us together I mean it has been music it has been Netflix it has been so many of these things that have kept people sane during mm-hmm. this totally bizarre time. So if we don't think entertainers are important, just, you know, shut down your Hulu, your Netflix, your uh, Disney Plus and uh, see how long you uh, can handle it. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> 
Um, I want to go back to the fact that you were the youngest sexologist at the time yes. of your historical entry into the intellectual cabal of sexology, <laughs> as it were. I feel like you've covered this before, but uh, I wouldn't mind hearing your origin story. And I wanted to interject as well, because I know that you, I read in one of the many articles about you that it was when you moved to Las Vegas when you were 15, Mm -hmm. if I'm correct, that you decided you wanted to become a sexologist. Was it something about Las Vegas that inspired you or what caused that 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 understanding? So I, before I lived here, lived in Vancouver, Canada. Okay. And I, I had not been raised there. I only lived there for a few years. My stepdad was Canadian and we immigrated there. Before that, I had lived in Hawaii, in Maui, and my mom is an astrologer and I had been around a lot of alternative folks. And so the Tantra people were there and, you know, the nudists were there. And so from a young age, I had been exposed to the normalness that is a naked human. The fact that there are people who do study sexuality and work in these fields. And so I can tell you living in Canada, there are are very open-minded, amazing sex positive people in Canada. But Canada is not as sexualized of a culture as Las Vegas. And so I did two years of high school in Canada and I didn't have any friends who were having sex. And we were young, right? But Was it winter? (laughs) <laughs> there was winters that happened yes for two some- years right <laughs> yes. two years straight it was just winter because i'm pretty winter. certain that's what i understand of canada <laughs> now where i lived i have to say is literally the most southern part of western canada like i could look out our balcony and see the border lineup like america was right there like literally where unlv is from my house was probably america that's you could how throw a rock at bellingham for real yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> and so I, I enjoyed that. It was warm, as warm as Canada can be. Um, <laughs> and it rained a lot. But there was a beach. and Like, it was cool. I enjoyed living in White Rock. It was fun. But, you know, we got good sex ed then. We had it every year in phys ed, as they called it. Um, and as well as in, like, biology and science. We talked about sexuality. We talked about babies and reproduction. I then moved to Vegas. I find out that the sex education here is a – it barely exists – Almost everybody I knew was having sex and had been for like a couple years. They were doing it at school. They were doing it in the bus. And I was a band kid, right? Even the nerds were getting laid. Um, And so it was such a shift of like, okay, like this is a different town. But I felt that it was also that rebelling against the kind of abstinence, hold it in the box with this sprinkle of Sin City myth in a lot of ways. Like I I do not feel like Las Vegas is is the sinniest of cities. <laughs> it's actually, um, in my view, relatively conservative. It's very conservative. Anyway, please continue. <laughs> um, and so I was that kid who loved like TLC and would watch all like the anatomy of sex and all the little sex experts, you mm. know, talking about bodies and orgasms. And I would stay up till God knows how long watching that. I used to stay up listening to Loveline. So shout out to Adam Carolla and Dr. Drew. Like you changed my life. Nice. I called in one time when I was like 14. <laughs> I, did. I, I wanted to know... You want to know my question? I would love to know your question. <laughs> yeah. Let's hear your question, Dr. Amanda. So I wanted to know if a guy ejaculated into your mouth and then you kissed him after and then he went down on you, could you get pregnant? Wow. That's actually a really smart question. Particularly for a 14-year-old. I had some concerns. <laughs> <laughs> I'm asking for a friend. Yeah. I, I was uh, definitely um, very curious. But the other cool thing about it was, th- so they said to me, they laughed. They did giggle at me. And then they're like, well, 
It's a very, very, very small chance. But if sperm can get there, it could potentially happen, which is true. Right? I mean, and there have been some interesting stories. Enzymes in saliva do not break down sperm? They don't Let's necessarily. Let's talk science, Dr. Sexology. Yeah, so saliva is, it breaks down things. Okay, so for example, like the HIV virus is generally a pretty fragile virus, okay? Unless you have like, you've literally pulled a tooth and you have a gaping hole, you've had oral surgery. You need an entrance, but saliva itself will kind of attack things like HIV. Mm. So that's why, yes, there is still a risk. It has happened, but the, the, the amount of cases that have, of HIV infection that have happened from oral sex are very small. But with sperm, they can be, if they don't get much oxygen time, they can last a while. So for example, if sperm end up in a vagina, which the vagina itself is already a very acidic place. Like a lot of people don't realize that a healthy vagina is more acidic than coffee. Like it, it and the acidity of it is what keeps it healthy. Mm. Um, when, when it gets less acidic is when you get more overgrowth of bacteria that can live in that more basic environment than what a, a healthy vaginal environment would be. And I love coffee also. There you so go. <laughs> there's a correlation there. Very it well explains so much. It does. It really explains a lot. <laughs> but sperm can live inside of, of a body for up to a week. And so that's the, when we talk about fertility and these kinds of things, I, I love asking my students, do you think you can get pregnant every single day of the week from the moment you start your period till the day you get menopause, right? Um, and many of them say yes, because they have been taught with this, this such fear of how you don't get pregnant. You're right. going to get it. Like anyone touches you with a penis and you're going to get pregnant. And, um, and tell me if I'm wrong, but isn't that the general modus operandi of the American sex education focus in general is just kind of make you a little scared? Be afraid. Be very afraid. How do you see your students when you first begin like the first year of their classes? Do you? How do you see them being affected by that? I'd Indoctrination, say, I guess. I would say almost every single one is. Unless they've gone to a school in like California or Oregon, some of these places that have, have much more comprehensive sexuality where they don't teach it in like a week and they don't whisper about it, where they actually do condom demonstrations, that kind of stuff. We're not legally allowed to do that in Clark County. People don't realize they cannot show you how to use a condom in a health class in Las Vegas. With all the billboards we have around here. Right. With prostitution 45 minutes away that you legally have to use a condom with, mm -hmm. but we're not going to teach you how to use one. And some teachers will literally break the law and will be like, this is important. Lock the door. I'm going to teach you how to use a condom. And I've had students who've told me that that's what their teacher did. And cheers to those teachers. You're actually Absolutely. teaching them an incredibly valuable, potentially life-saving skill. But so many of my students, the first week of class, this is them. They sit there with their hands crossed. You can tell they're just like, oh my God, what's happening right now? And I, I start gentle. Right? I try to ease in because I know that so many students, I have students who've gone to Catholic school their whole life. I have students who are from other countries where they don't have any sex education. I had a student from, I think she was from Somalia and she was afraid. She had been told that if any man ever touches her, she'll get pregnant. So once she started her period, she stopped hugging her father. Because she was afraid that she would get pregnant from hugging him. Like, these are the stories I hear that wow. are just... That's like, a bit tragic. That's heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. What kind of effect does that have on your family, on your dynamic with your family? Oh, like, uh, it's... it's So, yes. I I have seen the, the shame 
Most of my students do not know what a vulva is, which is the external female genitalia. Many people call it a vagina. Oh, not the car from Sweden. Well, I think, you know, you can drive it all night long, but it's, uh, <laughs> it might last longer than a Volvo. Okay, that's how to practice. I'm certain that that's how you start in your class, isn't it? That's one of your go-to lines. I'm sure it is. I mean, and, like I had a student just this week who's like, I'm 24 years old and I have now just learned what a Volvo is. Um, and they're even Canadian. So they got better sex ed in Canada and didn't even learn this stuff. It's, it's interesting because in the 16 weeks that I have these students in class, I kind of watch them melt into themselves, into respecting other people, into being more open-minded about things they've maybe never heard about mm. or never had the opportunity to ask questions about. Mm. And so I see them leaving knowing their bodies better, knowing how to give pleasure to their partners better. Or even if they're virgins, I say they add to their tool belt, right? Like you might not have made your sexual debut, but when you do, you'll be ready. <laughs> and I do have, actually, not all college kids are having sex. That's the thing I think is important to know. I have a lot of virgins. I'd say at least 20% of my students probably have not had sex yet. And that tell me, right? And then, of course, there's people who would never tell me such a thing. And then... I see them more accepting of people who are gender and sexual orientation diverse. More uh, accepting of diversity than previous than, generations yes, or what? Or, or just than 16 weeks before oh. where they maybe never really knew about trans people. They really never knew about why you should use their pronoun or intersex people. The fact that there are some people born with genitals that the doctor's like, I don't, I don't know. Are they a boy or a girl? Let's take some blood and look at their chromosomes. Right. Right. Because it's, it's not just the black and white. Uh, mm, it's a spectrum. Yes concept that we we'd been taught yes. for so many years you know xx xy and the chromosomes but now with our understanding of biology deepening and the fact that it can be so many fascinating permutations of like xx xxy and mm -hmm. it, it's just it's mind-boggling it, it's really like empowering mm -hmm. and still the education needs to be disseminated but they're not getting in high school i can tell you that you know, it's just the, the curriculum. I mean, I personally go to the school board meetings asking for better sex education and it is so painful. It's like physically painful. I, and on, on some occasions, it feels dangerous to go to these school board meetings. Mm -hmm. I have been cornered. I've been hissed at. I've been booed. I will not walk to my car alone after the school board meetings around sexuality. Oh, oh dear. There's people who drive their trucks around with like pictures of guns. Like oh. I would shoot a trans girl in the bathroom with my girl. Like that kind of stuff. Oh, and man. so like it's it's heavy. Like sex brings out some interesting people. And like you mentioned, Vegas, despite the five miles of sparkle and quote unquote sin, this is a very heavily Catholic and LDS community. Mm -hmm. And they come out united against sexuality education in this town. Well, and I feel that that might be an actual symptom of the sort of sexual conservatism that happens in Las Vegas. I know it's like a dichotomy here because you see it on all the billboards. But what it is, is they're selling it as sin, you know, sin city, quote unquote. Whereas people who have, I guess what I would call a more diverse or a more balanced or a more healthy version of sexuality in their heads wouldn't be calling a lot of these things sin. They would just be calling them, you know, kind of a fun Saturday night. Interesting way to spend $800, you know, something like that. And and th so that, to me, the language belies the reasoning behind it, obviously. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to me also, going back a little bit to a couple of things that you just said about, about how sexuality is is becoming a spectrum instead of this, this duopolar uh, entity. 
I kind of feel that the 21st century is kind of all about that. There are so many things in our world where these black and white attitudes are turning into spectrums, turning into these sliding scales. Sexuality is a very big one of those. Isms, for example, all the political isms, all the philosophical isms, they're breaking mm-hmm. down into nuances, you know, and, and you are, you are right in that battlefield where you're trying to teach people about stuff that's always been but we just now are beginning to get some of the mental training as a wider generation to be able to see it with the nuances that it deserves. Or even the words. We have new words now. The Actually, words. Every year there's new words. Tell us words. <laughs> I mean, for example, since I've been teaching sexuality, we don't use the word transsexual anymore. Okay. Um, is that don't? Con- is that considered no. derogatory? It, it is starting to become kind of a derogatory term because it, it divided the trans community in between people who had potentially taken some sort of like medical action to change their gender expression. While some trans folks never will, whether because they can't afford it, because there's definitely a socioeconomic barrier. Oh, it's giant. True. It's, I it's mean, an expensive right, process. Very expensive from having your hair removed to getting boobs or having your breasts removed. It's much easier to make a, a vulva than it is to make a penis and, and about 20 times cheaper to make a vulva than to make a penis. The technology is... That's is, ironic. Well, it's easier to, <laughs> to subtract than to add. Talk Always. about body parts. Okay. I mean, it's uh, the same way when we're, we're building costumes. You know, make it bigger. We can always... Cut it down. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Not that we've ever made a giant penis costume or anything. <laughs> Not yet. Well, oh, please. There go all our state fair contracts. <laughs> I have three in my closet. So if you ever need to borrow one, I have I have two two just kind of regular ones. And then I have a big black inflatable penis costume. Dr. Amanda Morgan, just about the only person I know, maybe, maybe 10 or 11 more, that have multiple penis costumes in her closet. Anyway, please continue. I have a vulva costume. I have a sperm costume. Like, I'm prepared. Like, I'm prepared for all all the things. Well, let's put together a theater show that is nothing but sex ed. I basically, like, that is one of my goals. Um, With my variety show that I've done, Dr. Sexpot's Erotic Circus, it Mm -hmm. definitely has a mix of that, like, sex positive little hint of sex education, but also just sexual openness. Right. That, yes, the the vulva costume, the penis costume, all fits out. Dr. Sexpot's Erotic Circus is something that we were witness to at the Erotic Heritage Museum back when you were involved in it. Can we talk a little bit about your time at the Erotic Heritage Museum? Is that a thing that you'd be open to discussing? Yeah. Maybe a little bit of the arc of your history there and um, what, you know, what were your favorite moments or memories as a sexologist, but also just as Amanda? You know, and yes, Heather. I would like to interject that you never finished talking about the new terms for transsexual. So, if we're working to educate people, I think we should finish that up, and we can pop back over to sex pods. Well, trans, trans is is definitely become the shorter version, right? So, trans encompasses transgender, and for people, there there are older trans folks who still identify as transsexual. So it's interesting because it's it's kind of a self identified term, but. Like the terms change, right? Just how like older queer people, for example, older men who are in their 70s who are gay probably would never use the word queer because they've probably had that word used as a derogatory term t- towards them. <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. And, and so it's interesting to see when they might use some of these other terms. But basically, we're now starting to use trans. We're now starting to use assigned female at birth assigned male at birth the term like biological sex is kind of offensive especially because when we talk like you said about all the different chromosomes there are trans folks that also might have extra chromosomes so maybe they were assigned male at birth but really they have extra 
X chromosomes. Biologically, um, they biologically. could be considered female just as much as they are male. Exactly. Marco had a, a, a friend a long time ago who had that happen when they were born. He was a dear friend. And, you know, I loved him dearly and I call him him because that's how he identified mm-hmm. himself as. Uh, but it was a forced identification. When he was born, he was born with both sets of sexual equipment. And there was a decision that had to be made in the late 1960s in rural Texas about whether this cat was going to be a boy or a girl. And the doctors said, well, let's make this person a boy. It's just going to be a 15-minute procedure instead of an eight-hour procedure or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And so he became a man. And um, he wrestled with things like testosterone count and stuff like that his entire life. He's still out there. Shout out, Paul. I love you. And um, he is one of the – he is the person that taught me. He, I credit him for being the first person to teach me about what is the sliding scale of gender and sexualities, mm-hmm. you know? And um, I, I – when he was having trouble with his prescription and I went to, you know, I, 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 I drove with him to get a physical and it became very intimate with his process. It was such an eye-opening experience because I always considered him in a very derogatory nowadays term, but back then in the 90s, you know, kind of a soft boy type. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, he blew my mind wide open about the spectrum of sexuality with, you know, just his personal experience and and how he opened up to me. And I, I am decidedly very, I, I identify very much as a male. I mean, I don't, you know, I, I don't have anything that would like say otherwise but uh i'm just a hairy gruff guy with a low voice you know that kind of thing so so it's always been the easiest for me and for him it's a choice to make every day even now that the operation has happened because still his genetics his biology things like that are still within that spectrum you know kind of right in the middle really with him and that's got to be difficult for persons Especially persons that live in places where society hasn't quite opened up yet to that. Is Las Vegas one of these places? Believe it or not, Vegas is actually one of the, it's in the top three most LGBT cities, which is kind of like Nevada actually has a pretty decent LGBTQ population. So woo, shout out Nevada. That is a nice thing to hear. (laughs) Yeah. And like learning about that was kind of was like, oh, good. Because I see people generally being accepting of people here. I see people honoring gender identity most of the time the state of nevada does have a law that if you want to go to the bathroom you are allowed to go to the bathroom of your gender identity so you know all the bathroom politics about you know what genitals do you have we've we have created laws that protect gender diverse folks here Um, i'm so happy for that it's so nice the school district was very behind the state created a law and then it took about three years for the school district to create some sort of policy to be able to uphold the state law for children here (laughs) which is just so frustrating But like those things make me happy. And I see people being able to thrive here. Our community is, I want to say it's small but mighty. It's medium but mighty. And it's nice to see that, you know, Las Vegas has its pride festivals and, you know, drag queen bingo. And our, like I, I feel like we're a, a city that is definitely more accepting 
of people for who they are. Because that's gender identity. It's like, what do, what do you wake up every day feeling? Don't look at your body. Like, what does your brain tell you? That is your gender identity. Mm. And for some people, you know, that is such a struggle because they may come from a family or religion or culture in which, you know, you are your genitals. When they when they might hate their genitals. They mm. might be so disconnected from their bodies because they feel very deeply that they are, in fact, in the wrong body. Mm. And there's actually some, some research that shows that their brains look like the gender they feel they are right yeah i've uh, i've seen that that's fascinating because then we talk wow. about biology again right, right? <laughs> it's amazing are there wow. dangers to having that kind of cognitive dissonance between your identity your biology and all of these you know the social roles all of that the suicide rate is exponentially higher that is in sex and gender diverse folks it's so tragic it is it's between the the self-harm as well as the homicide. And that's the other thing that a lot of people don't realize is that trans folks, especially trans folks of color, are, right. are murdered at a much higher rate than any other group. And and not just necessarily like shot once or stabbed. It's like they brutalized, is brutalized because sometimes you have people and their own inner uh, disconnects, inner anger, inner whatever. There's so much happening inside of humans that they yeah. then project all that anger um, onto them like uh, I was yes. attracted to you and now I feel disgusting so I'm going to have to brutalize you like yes. it's, it's, it's heartbreaking and I think we don't talk about it enough it's what I call often. the troglodyte response it's yeah. that inner caveman or cave person in all of us that just does not understand therefore must hate and it's a it's a it's a rough one to get over mm-hmm. and going back to my comment about the 21st century I hope this might be the century we get over it Slow progress. I see it. And I can tell you the kids, as, as strange and as addicted to the internet as they are, they're pretty good. Okay? I have hope. How hopeful um, is that? It's it, it, like they... <laughs> My my partner uh, used to teach high school biology. And he's like, I watched one of the gangster kids defend a trans kid today. He's like, I liked it. Like, it's, it's so nice to see. Like, versus when we were in high school where... That's probably not what have happened, right? No. <laughs> no, most likely not. Yeah. Wow, that's wonderful. Yeah. I wanted to, and, and I, I definitely want to talk about Dr. Sexpot's circus, but I, I wanted to get back to your mission as an educator. First, is your class an elective or do they need to take it? And second, what is your mission? What is your goal? What is your focus? Mm, that's a lovely question. Um, so it is a 400 level class. It covers either the social science requirement for some people or an upper division elective. I do believe in, I think, two programs. I think the public health program and the human services counseling program, which, by the way, I got my undergraduate degree in human services counseling. Mm. Um, uh, they, <laughs> yes, right. And um, how many degrees do you have, Dr. Oh, Amanda? God, at this point, <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. Okay. But, but yeah, so I... I many of my students is just an elective, but it covers kind of something they need. So I get music majors, I get computer science majors, like not necessarily like health or education people all the time, which I love. My goal is to create a safe space for people to get more comfortable with themselves to get a better understanding of the human body. And once again, like you said, the spectrum of it, whether it's the physical representations or the um, orientation, uh, the gender identity spectrums that many of us have, and to foster respect and openness. So for if they choose to have children, that they will not continue the cycle of misinformation and fear. Because I have so many students whose Mm. parents never talk to them about sex. Not once, not never. Mm. It's shocking uh, to the point where the silence and I asked them that I said, did their silence around this topic teach you something? And they're like, oh, yes. 
because then they don't feel safe. If they're getting abused, they don't feel safe. Oh, if no. they, if I've had students who've got their first period and thought they were dying because <laughs> nobody told them. And so they go tell their little brother, I've been bleeding for four days. And their little brother's like, well, you got to go to the hospital, man. You know, like what's wrong with you? Because they weren't even <laughs> taught the basics of human development. Uh, um, and so, you know, I, I believe part of my mission is curing the ignorance and releasing so much of the shame that so many people carry. And then some of the guilt. Because I think people feel guilty for having sexual feelings and desires. And I want them to know they're not alone. And that there is a rainbow of people and diversity out there. And that because you're interested in this or because you feel a certain way about yourself or about who you're attracted to, that that's, that's okay. That guess what? This is part of the human experience and you're not alone and there's nothing wrong with you. Wow, what a good chat that was. Ah, so much fun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and that's only part one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really strikes me, you know, certain things that she said about, like, for example, how Las Vegas is actually a lot more sexually conservative than you would expect from all the billboards and all the ads and all the, you know, strip clubs and all that. Right, its reputation is, you know, sexier and sinnier than it, it, it really is in real life. Yeah, it's really just one of the, it's, it's, a, it's a tourist export. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's marketing. It's marketing. Mm-hmm. It's part of our allure as opposed to where we truly are. Truly. And, you know, where we truly are is really surprising in other ways, too. Like how many students actually haven't had sex? Yeah, what was college. it? About 20% she estimates of her, her students yeah. have not had sex yet. And that's one in five college students as far as her experience goes. Yeah, and well, honestly, that's a larger number than I thought. Yeah, I was kind of surprised by it. We learned that sexuality is more on a spectrum, not a duopoly. I mean, I think we were pretty aware of that, but it was definitely good to touch on. We've been covering that a lot in previous episodes, uh, just talking about how sexuality really is just a, not even a spectrum, it's a a landscape. (laughs) You know, it's not just from left to right and everything in between. It's left, right, up and down, sideways and straight ahead and everything in between. Yeah, that's a really good way to look at it, like a topography. Yeah, there is. That's yeah. it. A topography. Mm. Well, and the fact that the brain looks like the gender we feel that we are and not necessarily our biological or assigned sex at birth. Yeah, that was a pretty neat revelation. My brain was like, kablooey. So good. Yeah. Mm. We also touched on a couple of sad points, like, for example, the threat of violence inherent in being a sex educator like her, (sighs) and uh, how trans folks are murdered at a higher rate than any other group. We learn these things, and it's frustrating that it's not shocking. Yeah. You know, but it is heartbreaking. Yeah. Uh, Something that does give me hope, though, is that, for example, the state of Nevada does have laws protecting gender diversity. That's right. You can go to the bathroom of your choice here. And we have people like Amanda Morgan helping so many learn that there's nothing wrong with the fact that we are sexual creatures. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with you for being a sexual creature or for not being a sexual creature, for that matter, for like that one in 100 who is not. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with you. You're just who you are. Be who you are. Well, that's it for our show today. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember that you can reach out to us on Facebook at facebook.com slash howtoloveforever and on Instagram at howto numeral two love forever. 
We are always looking to hear your feedback, what you would like us to cover, and maybe you would like to share your perspective and insights as one of our amazing guests. You want to come and be interviewed by us? <laughs> Not necessarily in that order. You go ahead and give us a call. Reach out to us. Uh, and if you also feel that the show we're putting together provides some value, is good for the world, or it's just plain entertaining, we'd love for you to join our community on Patreon. Yay! Yay! We have a whole range of relationship levels you can choose from, and the more committed you become, the more we're going to be able to share with you. So join us next week for the second half of this fascinating interview with Dr. Amanda Morgan. It's another outstanding show, and we look forward to sharing more of it with you. So, until then, remember, love bunnies, love deep, love hard, love Love forever. forever.